This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Custer's Revenge. Welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. And I'm going to tell you guys, I practice doing that line in my car, you know, like I'll just be driving and saying it for no reason. That's kind of dumb, actually. It's pretty easy yeah. to say. You're, you're almost good at it. You're getting there. Getting there. You're practicing, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a loser mom. <laughs> Uh, my name is Will, and joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Kat and John. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Now, I suppose we should say that in addition to hosting his own podcast, Gen X Grown Up, which you guys should check out, John, mm-hmm. our good buddy here, is going to be co-hosting yeah. 1980s Now with Kat and myself mm-hmm. for the next few months. Mm-hmm. Sure. And at yeah. some point- well, It's just so much fun. Okay. How could I not? You, I was going to yeah. say, or until he gets out of the shekels. <laughs> He learns how to pick a lock. Something like that. On today's show, we'll be speaking with Kevin and Palazzari about the history of Custer's Revenge, Ooh. controversial controversial adult video game for the Atari 2600. Did you mm. guys, look, I, I said to you guys I wanted to talk about this. Prior to me bringing you up, mm-hmm. were you familiar with this game? Nope. Yes. <laughs> 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 no. Yeah, it comes, yeah. it comes with the territory of being a big Atari nerd, actually. Oh, okay. You ah. can't avoid it. It's, it's, so it's part of the history. You didn't yeah. necessarily know it in 1982 when it came out then. Just, no, I, okay. I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a big nerd. Okay, all right. Yeah. We'll talk really? about that in a minute or two. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Kevin, in addition to coming to our show, is also the host of his own podcast called Scandalous Games. Every month, Kevin yeah, uh, digs me. deep into some true tale of intrigue regarding... A scandalous video game. And mm-hmm. one of the episodes he did on Custer was Custer's Revenge, and I had heard that. Mm-hmm. I actually had seen a, a talk Kevin did about the health effects, or at least the concerns about the health effects uh, of video games in the 1980s. He did a, a mm-hmm. talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately the folks were, you know, just I remember with breakdancing, you know, parents were like telling us, you can't breakdance. <laughs> when you're old, you're going to have arthritis. <laughs> That's so abstract to a kid who's 13, you know? There were Time Magazine articles, like, you know, the bad thing. Same thing with uh, video games. They said, you know, you're going to get arthritis of your hands. Anyway, Kevin talked about that. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, he talks about a a lot more interesting things than um, uh, joint disease. Than arthritis. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because there was no arthritis prior to the Atari. We all know that. (laughs) Right right now. (laughs) All right, hey, before we have any fun with the news, a quick announcement. I promise, this is the last time. This is your last chance. Join me at Ohio Fan Fest this weekend, Friday and Saturday, May 13th and 14th. I'll be interviewing a number of people, including Vernon Wells, Mark Holton, and Larry Kenny, live and in person, and also be hosting 1980s trivia. Now, you can play that wow. back at half speed, but I'm saving the time wow. for everybody. There's also going to be a ton of wrestling people there, including Jake oh. the Snake Roberts, the Butcher, the Blade, and Bonnie, Kurt Angle. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 folks are going to be there. Visit OhioFanFest.com for tickets and more information. I didn't hear any of the names. I'm just still stuck on how you did that. So <laughs> play it back later, Kat. You know okay, you can I change have... the speed that you listen to podcasts, right? On most players, so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do that one on half Slow it down speed. and you sound drunk. Or you mm-hmm. speed it up and you, you <laughs> yeah, sound like you're manic. Yeah. 
I've done that accidentally. Welcome yeah. to. <laughs> it's, but it's the same pitch. You just sound like yeah. you're absolutely stoned. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I've hey. never tried this. <laughs> it even makes my show sound funny, so it's great. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> but there's no hope for our show. No matter the speed. <laughs> That's implicit. All right. All right. Hey, let's get caught up on 1980s. News. <laughs> Hey, this week in 1980s news, per Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, yeah, that one. He's, quote, battled leukemia, heart surgery, cancer, fire, and racism, end quote. So a negative portrayal has no effect on him personally, but it does affect others. Uh, writing on his blog, whoever knew Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had a blog, but he does. Uh, the NBA champ took issue with a particular scene in HBO's series Winning... Winning? What is it called? Winning series? Oh. Did I write series twice by mistake? It's called Winning Time. What are, how did I get winning? I just wrote through a thing, though. No. Oh, wait, no, this is a... You spent too much time practicing the high-speed talking and not enough time reading uh, the articles. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. Winning time. Uh, either of you guys watching this show, Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty? I'm aware of it, but I'm not yeah. watching it. I, uh, my, my co-host, George, big sports fan, he's been watching it. He speaks very highly of the show, actually. Is that right? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I am Most not watching it to me is that it's uh, brought to us uh, courtesy of Adam McKay. Adam McKay is known for doing, you know, working with uh, Will Ferrell on a number of his films, including mm-hmm. Anchorman, oh. Talladega Nights, those ones. So he's got a comedy background, but then he turned his sights on this. And maybe that explains why they've taken some liberties with the uh, story mm. that uh, mm. uh, Abdul-Jabbar and a number of others have problems with. So uh, the show mm-hmm. chronicles the 1980s Showtime era of the L.A. Lakers. Uh, featuring notable NBA stars like uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. And while the inventor of the Skyhook has said the show is dull, he took issue with one particular scene that recreated moments of his time on the set of the film Airplane. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, so many great things about the film Airplane, but sticking an NBA star, I don't know that we had many sports folks in comedic roles then uh, we've got some football <laughs> players that turned to action stars or other types of actors but hmm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't remember he starred as roger murdoch the co-pilot uh <laughs> That's opposite, right. uh who was it peter graves right was the pilot mm-hmm. and he has a number of memorable scenes including one where you know there's a young boy who's in and around about the plane and visits the cockpit mm-hmm. uh, played by ross harris in on the series in addition to recreating that moment uh, fairly accurately, it seems. There's a moment behind the scenes in the fictional uh, series where the young co-star asks Kareem for an autograph and Kareem, as played by Solomon Hughes, responds, fuck off. All right. Uh, <laughs> writing on his blog, Abdul-Jabbar says, I never said fuck off to the child actor. <laughs> <laughs> to the child. To the, the child, child I never said it. Nor have so I, he said it. I like how he has to clarify this. Nor have I ever said that to any child. <laughs> But truth and insight were not on the filmmaker's agenda. Shocking moments were. There's a victim here. It's just not me. My charity, the Skyhook Foundation, provides a week-long retreats for inner-city schools. But when people see the show and come away with an impression that I'm verbally abusive to children, they are less likely to support my foundation. Uh, mm -hmm. I imagine he has. Look, I can see why he'd have issues. I would hate to have something be portrayed, you know, falsely in something, especially where it's purporting to be, you know, a sort of pseudo-documentary of the but are right. bi- biographical. But the connection between someone seeing him cursing at a kid in the 1980s, even if they believed it, and not giving money to his foundation that helps kids, that's mm-hmm. tenuous. I mean, come on. And also, it's not him. It's, it's an actor. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's uh, not footage, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I have heard right. that Jabbar kind of thinks he's I am above the law. Like he oh. he's he kind of walks oh. on water, and so even though okay. even though he's saying it doesn't affect me, but it affects the foundation and other people. I see. I think he's mm-hmm. worried about his legacy and. Uh, mm. he, Look, mm-hmm. what, I'm not questioning whether or not that actually happened, but yeah. I think he probably has a pretty thin skin about it personally, in addition mm. to his I legacy. See. Yeah, that's, using the that's my opinion. As a way of sort of uh, complaining about it, but I'm not. Well, it's that's not for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I <laughs> if I didn't have the foundation, I couldn't care less. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Sure. Well, you're right. It turns out it's not true because in a letter written to the L.A. Times, directors uh, Jim Abrams, David Zucker, and Jerry Zucker, the folks behind Airplane and a number of other ridiculous mm-hmm. movies in the 1980s, including the uh, Naked Gun films, mm-hmm. wrote, we had never seen anything like that on the airplane set. In fact, during the airplane shoot and in the years since, we found Kareem to both be professional and kind. Additionally, mm-hmm. they told the news outlet that they reached out to Ross Harris. You'll remember he's the young boy or the young actor mm-hmm. who played the, the, the boy that was on the in the cockpit. Uh, Harris, when asked about the scene, reportedly said it's abs- it absolutely did not occur and that his experience with the athlete was positive. I was um, aware of basketball in the 80s a tiny yeah. bit because I uh, mm-hmm. had an uncle who was a coach and I was his scorekeeper, clock keeper. Oh, right. You told us about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's you were right. the one they requested. I want the girl on the clock. Right. <laughs> particular oh. acumen for counting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just had to flip a switch, oh. pay attention to the whistle, you know. She's mathematically gifted, yeah. You know, you know I, I think Jabbar, you look at any production like this, and it's I don't think they're trying to necessarily say that this thing happened. Yeah. You have to condense a lot of information into small scenes, and they're trying to convey the attitude that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had, which mm. I mentioned that he was a bit elevated and better yeah. than other people, and that's probably how they chose to illustrate it, rather right. than showing a bunch of small incidents. It was kind of condensed, and so... Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end, maybe you're getting the right uh, your the right picture in a smaller bite. Who knows? I don't know. The man. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Well, I was gonna say yeah. well, about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, my I didn't. It wasn't pointless before. I was saying, you know, growing up around, you know, hearing about basketball and hearing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the different names of the teams and all. Yeah. And I definitely had the impression that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was um, he was someone that my uncle had respect for as a person, like above and beyond being a, a skilled player. I just, so reading the, you know, see, watching the little, you know, bit about him saying, you know, F mm-hmm. off and it doesn't match my childhood perception of mm-hmm. him, me not knowing him at all, you know. Never yeah. said uh, it to you. We can all lady. say that. He never said it to me. The That's one true. time I forgot to turn the clock off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he pops out. Hey, cat. <laughs> you on the clock. Exactly. (laughs) Others on the show have taken issue with their portrayals as well, including the general manager, Jerry West, Mm -hmm. who said he had his lawyers ask the uh, network for a retraction. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) You know, I talked to Vernon Wells about this kind of a little bit a couple of weeks ago, and I'll be speaking with him live uh, this uh, weekend, May 13th and Mm -hmm. 14th, OhioFanFest.com. But about, (laughs) look, the uh, fantasy of being, you know, famous is one thing, mm-hmm. but the reality of it is scary, you know? And he was talking mm-hmm. about how folks can just take a story and, you know, with a certain angle and now you're fighting against this perception that isn't true. It's especially now. Yeah. I think you're mm-hmm. right. With, with mm-hmm. so much celebrity comes, you lose a little bit of yourself because part of that bit of yourself now mm-hmm. belongs to the public because yeah. mm-hmm. that's, that's what they get in return for you being famous is they get to feel that they own part of you. And so, yeah, it's, it can be tough. That's what, oh, is that is tough for you, John? Yeah, this is rough for me. Yeah. 
That's why I decided not to be famous. I see how John's getting it. That's a good call. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I felt bad for the guy. Hey, another 1980s news for Entertainment Weekly. It's here. It's here. It's like the phone books in The Jerk. Daniel Radcliffe rocks the accordion and Hawaiian shirt in the first Weird Al biopic trailer. Did you guys check out the trailer? Yes. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. You know, we didn't, John, I realized we didn't, I don't know that we talked about this, right? We learned you're a huge Weird Al fan last week, but we didn't really get the chance yeah. to talk about how you feel about a parody, or it seems to be mm. a parody uh, of his life and not a straight up bio, biopic. Oh, you know, I get the impression this is going to be a straight up kind of biopic with a little tongue in cheek. There was a parody in the past where Aaron Paul, I think, right, played yes. Weird Al. It was a short. Right. But mm-hmm. this, I think this is more like this is linked on Weird Al's site. I think this is largely oh. supposed to be somewhat biographical. Well, he's yeah. involved. But um, yeah. the original write up of it from a few weeks ago when they announced it or a couple of months ago was something about you'll see the real side, the drinking, drug addled. <laughs> side of Weird Al. Obviously right, not. Right. But you're right. He right. is co-writing. He's co-writing and producing it. Yeah. So, so yeah. I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. Does he, Weird Al prance around on stage without his shirt on? Is that a thing <laughs> that he does? That was funny, right? <laughs> because... <laughs> no, not regularly, no. Yeah, John's okay. seen seven or eight concerts. Did you ever see him shirtless? Yeah. Uh, no, he does a lot of costume changes, but those all happen uh-huh. behind stage. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, you know, my, my problem is not with the film being made, it's with the casting. I just, mm-hmm. there's something about Daniel Radcliffe that he doesn't have, and, and I don't, you don't have to have a striking resemblance to do a biopic, but you have mm-hmm. to kind of melt into the character yeah. or have some vague resemblance. I mean, other people are like, uh, what Taron Egerton who did Elton John yeah. and like Rami mm-hmm. Malek did the Bohemian Rhapsody right. they just mm-hmm. kind of blended in but right mm-hmm. all I see is like Daniel Radcliffe doing Weird Al cosplay when I see yeah. the trailer it's yeah. just yeah it just doesn't blend I don't yeah. know I, I'm keeping an open mind I th- well like I said I think it's it's part of the joke unfortunately yeah and he's all of like 5'2 so and Al's like what probably 6 feet tall I guess I, maybe mm-hmm. it is a joke in which case perfect yeah. casting it is, maybe yeah. that's the deal it's a joke I you guess. know <laughs> Well, we talked to uh, Lily Hirsch, the author of uh, Weird Al, seriously last week, and she said it was mm-hmm. a joke. It's a joke. But she's she's oh, really excited okay. about it because she said the kind of comedy mm-hmm. it's consistent with his music. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, maybe mm-hmm. that'll make more sense then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> so it's hard I think to it's tell. it's more tongue-in-cheek than not. <laughs> it's hard to tell how much of his, what period of his life or his, how much of his life will be told, but um, his 1986 Madonna parody, Like a Surgeon, which Madonna, mm-hmm. we learned, uh, is the one who suggested that idea to him. It plays mm-hmm. behind the the uh, trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Radcliffe, Radcliffe is seen wearing medical scrubs briefly, so it seems like it's, you know, it's mm-hmm. definitely in that era. We see behind him when he's closing the door at the end of the trailer, 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 suddenly I'm from Long Island or something. <laughs> the trailer. Uh, <laughs> Evan Rachel. <laughs> we see the back of Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna. I don't know if you caught that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, Did you see who was cast as Dr. Demento? Oh, yeah. He's in the picture there. Yeah. Mm-hmm, I look mm-hmm. great. Rain Wilson. Yeah. I think he's the per- and he even there's one of those like, well, he looks vaguely like him. I could see that yeah. as opposed to the, you know, <laughs> the, the <laughs> casting for Al is I, I, knowing knowing it's kind of a tongue in cheek thing. Maybe it's better. It just looked. Yeah, that makes Don, more sense. Don mm-hmm. Al's happy mm-hmm. with the casting. Well, OK, yeah. I, I guess it, I'll have to be happy. <laughs> back, mm-hmm. in fact, back in March, Radcliffe revealed on the, on the Tonight Show how he ended up being cast. Uh, he said the yeah. answer dates back to 2010 when he yep. sang The Elements, Tom Lehrer's novelty song about the periodic table on the Graham Norton show. 
Yep. He said, I, I sang the elements next to Colin Farrell and a very bemused uh, Rihanna, who was like, uh, who is this kid and why is he singing all the elements? And I guess Al saw that and was like, maybe this guy maybe gets it. And so he picked me. We're, the Weird Al Yankovic story will stream free on Roku channel this fall. You know, I meant to ask you this, John. I just, I, I was thinking about going to see Weird Al because he's coming to our area, you know? And then I read about the concert. Absolutely. The concert is, and you may know this already, but it says it's not going to be like any concert he's done. It's bare bones stripped down. There's not going to be any mm. costume changes. It's going to be like smaller mm. instrumentation. And he's going to do lesser known original songs. Mm. Mm-hmm. I thought, I, I, look, I love Weird Al, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that much. There's no version of a Weird Al Yankovic show yep. that is not worth seeing. Okay. He, his uh, musicality, his commitment to entertaining the audience and the show that he puts on, whatever he does, if he's going to go and do arm fart noises for 45 yep. minutes, go and see it. It's absolutely worthwhile. Yeah. All right. This got me thinking like I saw, you know, Def Leppard was make an article about Def Leppard, how they're going to do the stadium tour with Motley Crue, which is finally going to be kicking off. They have a new album come out and they said the new album is going to be featured strongly in their appearances. And I thought, oh no, this means I don't get to hear photograph. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Play the hits, yeah, exactly. Right, you want to hear what you want to hear. So yeah. yeah, but Weird Al, maybe it doesn't matter because, like you're saying, he's so much fun and yeah, it doesn't matter what he's doing. He's going to be entertaining. So right. d- don't let that sway you. Get a chance to go see him live. Do it. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, hey, I'm going to find out what the arm fart tickets are worth. Cost him. We'll get those. <laughs> you have, you have to wear a little brain jacket for that one. You want front row? <laughs> you're in the fart zone. Put this on. <laughs> hey, another 1980s new per retro dodo. I saw this and I thought of you, John, immediately. Arcade 1-Up reveals the latest addition to its long line of, uh, what, three-quarter size arcade cabinets? Mm-hmm. Dragon's Lair. That's right. Oh. Yep. And I think it's got Dragon's Lair, Dragon's Lair 2, and Space Ace on it. So it's three oh. of those Don Bluth full motion video games in it, but the cabinet looks like a Dragon's Lair. Yeah. For, for folks who don't know, and I guess folks that aren't nerds like us probably don't, Arcade 1-Up, Arcade 1-Up, the company builds... Arcade machines, retro arcade machines, mm-hmm. back from the good old days, just in slightly smaller sizes. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're, I'll say they're kind of expensive though, right? They, they, when they first came out, the quality wasn't there. So they were trying to give them right. away at Walmart. You can get them for like 75 bucks. That's My right. understanding is now they've made them better. And I know you do, you do videos over on your Gen X Grown Up channel on YouTube, analyzing a lot of these things, these mm-hmm. products, or reviewing, mm-hmm. I should say. They right. seem to be made better and they, as a result, they cost more. Do you think the quality's mm-hmm. improved on these? things they certainly have i mean first out of the gate it was like the printing on the deck would rub off your hands would rub it off and so then they then they added like plexiglass over that and then they had problems with manufacturing and they improved that and their service was subpar and they've improved that so Hmm. but yeah along with that improved build quality and supportability yeah i think this dragon's layer is going for like six or seven hundred dollars us yeah yeah it's not uh, it's not a small amount of change but if you're a dragon's layer fan it might be something you want in your house i get it yeah, and if you were to get an original full-size cabinet of this, you at least two thousand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and and, and that's for, one game, right? Right. So in that sense, it's a bargain. Yeah, uh, but you're right. Uh, so in 1983, video game designer Rick Dyer and legendary animator Don Bluth created a whole new, uh, you know, what a new not genre, but a new technology, I suppose, to play video games. Mm-hmm. Certainly mm-hmm. not like anything we had seen before, where you're essentially create or, or controlling a movie and a Don Bluth mm-hmm. level cartoon film adventure film yeah. so it's fantastic if you loved dungeon and dragons or that sort of fantasy now you had a mm-hmm. chance to cr- cr- you know control the hero of that mm-hmm. story it wasn't without its yeah. problems it was a little you had to be real specific in the timing uh you know you, the computer would basically flash and tell you 
push left or right with the joystick. And then if you right. did, you made it safely to the next scene and the action continued. If you didn't, you were cut to a scene where your character showed dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that timing was yeah. real tricky. It, it was a quarter suck huh. for sure. But yeah. when that first came out, so I, I was an arcade rat when that first came out and there were lines, lines to watch it. And the thing was when you weren't playing it, you would stand there and watch and try to learn from the next guy. What am I supposed to do here? Because it was up, down, left, right, or sword. That's all you could do. But at the right Mm -hmm. time, you did the right thing at the wrong time or the wrong thing at the right time. Too bad you died. And it was tough. Yeah. Was it fun at all to play this game? (laughs) I, I think the fun was the bragging rights of how far you got. That yeah. was the fun. It, it was, okay. you didn't play the yeah. game so much as you advanced the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the thing that was fun to me because I, I couldn't afford to keep dumping quarters in it myself, but I mm-hmm. would stand there to watch. Cause like, what's the next scene we're going to see in this adventure. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of it was mm-hmm. a little repetitive, but then you'd get to a whole new segment where it's like, Oh, this is all. Okay. I've never seen this. Yeah. Right. What is this going to happen? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the first time you got there, you died right away. Cause you had no <laughs> idea what to do. Yes. Anybody got a quarter? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you take my quarter, man. Oh, I never got this far. A quarter, fifty cents yeah, to play right. dragons there. So, you, yeah. you, you kidding? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. I do. I feel like eventually. Look, I'm either going to build my own cabinet so I could put an emulator inside of it, or is that what you did? Or you get you want? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm in for I that. have an arcade cabinet, and the marquee says "All of them" is the name of the game because people ask, "Do you have?" Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. I have all of them. Well, do you? Yes, I just <laughs> told on you. the label. I have all of them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, or maybe I'll check out some of these uh, arcade one ups. I know they've got a few now that I would of games I would love to have owned. You know, Star Wars. Yeah. I think they've got mm-hmm. a Tron now, right? They do. Yeah. Oh, those yep. are the games I love, especially because they had very different controllers than the, just a straight up joystick and a couple of buttons. Mm-hmm. And they have multiple form factors too. If you don't have the real estate for those big three quarter cabinets, they have yep. ones that are designed to hang on your wall or a door. Uh, and they're oh. very thin. They're like four or five inches thick. Uh, I reviewed one of those not too long ago mm-hmm. as well, because they came out with Defender, a great Williams game that had like eight buttons and a joystick on it that you can't replicate in emulation oh. or the uh, awesome. got a multi cabinet. Oh, they do some great stuff regardless of your price point or how much real estate you have to set it up. I can wow. hear commission checks being sent to John. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you should check out my PayPal to Arcade One Up. <laughs> you should check out John's channel, Gen X Grown Up. Seriously, listen to his podcast, but also on his YouTube channel. Like you said, he reviews these products. And one of them I saw you review and then I went and bought the product. It was that, um, I think it's an Arcade One Up too. It was the... Um, Tabletop uh, pong and has, pong, yeah, yeah, the pong. Oh, that was a cool one. The right? look With of the big it. spinners, yeah. Uh-huh. And you, you, were, you were talking about how the quality of the spinners are, and I was like, all right, I'm sold. Ooh. Now that you said that, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. Warlords is great on there too. Oh, That's yes. a fun game. Oh yes. man. Speaking of that, let's go. Let's get out of the news. I want to ask you guys some questions about video games. Oh, uh, all right. That was 1980. Hi, I'm Ray Hebel. And I'm Rob Schneider. Do you like nostalgic deep dives into the cultural happenings of yesteryear? Then do we have a podcast for you. That's right, Ray, and it's called This Was a Thing. Each week, we explore some of the greatest moments in pop culture history. From fabs to flubs, film to TV, music to tech, This Was a Thing celebrates all things nostalgic. So if you want to learn more about Pogs, the Rachel Haircut Jazzercise, or maybe even learn how to dance the Macarena, then head on over to This Was a Thing and subscribe. We'll see you in the past. If you like the show, you know you could rate, review it. That would be great. Follow us, subscribe on any platform, write a review, mm-hmm. or you can just send us an email showing your interest, your love, your support. An add a boy, or an add a girl, or an add a John, mm-hmm. an add a body <laughs> experience. Uh, like this one. We got this uh, message from Brian, sent us this email. He wrote, 
Thank you for the trip down Weird Al memory lane. So he just heard oh, our episode nice. last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite childhood memories was the first ever, my first ever concert in 1987, where Al indeed did open for the monkeys, as Cat mentioned. Oh, there yes. you go. <laughs> I particularly, particularly remember living with a hernia and his James Brown, imi- <laughs> Brown imitation closing the set. Still thankful mm. to my mother for taking my sister and I, although I suspect she was there for Davy Jones. Oh, so oh, was yeah. I. Most likely. Cat <laughs> was a believer. Yeah. Long time, first time. <laughs> keep the great, keep up the great pod. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Brian. So as, as I mentioned in a moment, we're going to be speaking about Custer's Revenge. Scandalous game. Uh-oh. We're going to have to figure out yeah. what to talk about what it's even about. I mean, we might just Ooh. come out and say it. Ooh. There's some other Should games that may be even more gross to describe, but not because of sexual Ooh. assault, but... <laughs> <laughs> because of the um, uh, the activity, yes, the activity. thrilling That's topics. Right. <laughs> um, I'm only embarrassed because cats here. Um, <laughs> anyway, but so before we bring Kevin out, because like to mention, Kevin, the host of Scandalous Games, is going to be talking to us about that, taking us through the history. I wanted to ask you guys though. So this game came out for the Atari 2600 in 1982. Uh, mm-hmm. When did you guys? I know you both had Atari 2600s. When did you first mm-hmm. get them? I don't remember the exact year yeah. like John probably does, but uh, when was it first released? 77. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I, probably by 79, okay. definitely by 1980. I'm very sure about that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm sure I got mine in 78 the year after because the first okay. thing I got was not what I wanted. I wanted that Atari and I got just the, just the Pong, just the TV Pong. Mm. And all it had was Pong or squash or Pong doubles yes. or Pong. It was all it had. And then, yeah, also Pong included. And what I wanted was the, the, the change out cartridges and all the space invaders and everything. Yeah. You know? And so I talked my dad into taking Pong back and I got my Atari. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I fully appreciated what we had at first because I knew someone who had Pong. Huh. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, well, why don't we have that? <laughs> this is plenty. Wow, what a <laughs> There's more Pong? Oh. <laughs> this is one of quite an of the spectrum here. Uh, so I'm sure you had your favorite video games. I know Kat's favorite video game all of, was Frogger, of, certainly, of that era. Great. Yeah, definitely a favorite. I also loved um, Missile Command. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Space Invaders. I loved um, Night... Night driver, mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. You yes. know. Drive, yeah, the driving um, controller, yeah, yeah, yeah fast paced game. Oh, oh man, yeah, <laughs> and breakout, um, surround, like mm-hmm. they just super, super. Cat knows graphic. her Atari games now. She's oh, no yeah. poser. Yeah. All right, no, no. <laughs> I love. I'm gonna add to that maze craze. Oh, you guys remember that one? Ooh, yeah, I don't think yeah. we had that one. Cops and robbers. Cops yeah. and robbers. Yes. Oh. <laughs> but so, so during this era. Were you aware or at any point in the 1980s, did you come aware that there were adult video games, that that was even a thing? Didn't even occur to me. <laughs> you know, I was aware that it existed. I don't know if I remember Custer's Revenge specifically, but um, there certainly was that influx of third or fourth or 12th party games. Like yeah. mm. uh, Chuck Wagon Dog Food made a game and Kool-Aid made a game. <laughs> and really? Games became, prom- oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh uh, the God. Crest Invaders or Pepsi Invaders. or, or every, Everybody <laughs> did a promotional game. Yeah. It's because anybody could publish and everybody had an yeah. Atari. So if you do one and you get a, mm-hmm. a percent of the market, you get millions of people. Uh, and I remember wow. hearing about them. I never touched one until, about oh maybe five years ago i actually held a custer's revenge because oh. they go for like 200 bucks loose wow. no kidding yeah 
Yeah. Oh. Loose. <laughs> Loose. Yeah. That's Loose. No, no pun intended. I'm just saying not with the box. That, that still sounds You can't see it. I don't know. You Moving on. It. I can't. There's, there's, there's no manual. Oh, quit it. No. <laughs> Stop. I don't know if this is a retcon for myself, but I remember being aware of it. And I have an image of seeing the ad, which I've now seen on the internet. You know, there's ad mm-hmm, articles mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I remember that type of ad you know for for these video games because and as a kid being just so you know uh fascinated <laughs> by this and mm-hmm. quite honestly look let's face it the 82 is probably a little early but some point in the middle 80s me and my friends were just a bunch of horny teenagers and either <laughs> right. hunting down you know porn magazines or porn videos of mm-hmm. porn video games that would have been amazing <laughs> now Custer's revenge it turns out you know it's a little darker than right would probably yeah. Although, quite mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know that we would have understood what we understand now about the game because mm-hmm. right. even though I was right. aware of the ads and the magazines for these things, I wasn't aware of the controversy behind it and the protests, no. et cetera. So, and Kevin will tell mm-hmm. us about that. You know, the, yeah. the irony is yeah. that if anything is scandalous or a little bit lewd today, yeah. what do you do when you publish? You tile it out and makes it pixelated, right? Mm-hmm. Well, these games were by default pixelated and tiled out you had to imagine what you were seeing because they only had like 40 pixels of resolution That's to get funny. it done but you, you squinted a little bit the tv was fuzzy yes. like oh, i think i see something you know? right <laughs> yes like watching scrambled uh, cable yeah <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about at, at some point <laughs> cinemax this is how I mean, maybe i shouldn't even tell the story but this, this is how you know again how horned up we were as kids teenagers i'm talking like 14 15 years old i on my apple 2c i made our own quote adult game now it was oh not my God. it wasn't Ooh. didn't have graphics it was more like the zork of adult games oh, it was like text a adventure text adventure Oh. But, you know, like my friends and I, we helped come up with the story and the characters and I sort of built the mechanics as far as, the, you know, the game mechanics, like how you would oh. uh, be able to seduce, you know, one of the ladies in the game. And then ultimately you won a date, I think is what we called it, you know. Oh, um, Will's lascivious interactive fiction. I'd like yeah, to see that, a transcript yeah, okay. of that. It was, you know, what's so funny is, again, because we were young, it's like, I don't know if there was any, even any, uh. The dialogue wasn't probably very sexy or scandalous even, you know, it was. <laughs> you were probably being euphemistic without trying. <laughs> yeah, it's the best what we knew, yeah. Right. <laughs> but the Custer's Revenge graphics were way better than mine because, yeah, mine was just straight on text. So, okay, you know, yeah. Well, and, th- and thinking about that, you know, talking about the graphics of Custer's Revenge, just to be clear what the subject is so nobody is surprised if you don't, if you don't want to listen to it, we're not going to be graphic in our descriptions about it, you know. Uh, when we talk about it with our guest today. But the game involves Custer, this character, this male cowboy character. Uh, uh, ultimately, you know, the sort of the prize you get for navigating this board safely is getting to have your way with a, an indigenous woman who's apparently bound to a stake. So the graphics are crude. Uh, the, the company ultimately says, you know, this isn't about sexual assault. It's been misunderstood. And we're going to get into that. But anyway, fair warning. I think that's all. All right. Hey, in a moment, let's bring out our guest who knows way more about this than probably you should. There's probably an FBI file on him right now. Uh, when we're joined <laughs> no. by our, we'll be back in a moment when we're joined by our guest, Kevin Impelizari. Hi, I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. And let's talk about movies. With over 3,000 films log, Andrew and I, best friends since middle school, have dedicated our lives to watching, making, and talking about movies. 
Each week, Andrew and I handpick a movie he's seen, I've seen, or neither of us have seen, and dive deep into anything and everything to wannabe cinephils could ever think of. From horror to dramedy, we do it all. So join us as we talk about everything movies, and maybe you too can become a bona fide cinephil. Our guest today is an educator, museum professional, and video game historian. Each month, he puts his PhD to good use, chronicling a controversial and enlightening part of video game history as the host of Scandalous Games. You can find Scandalous Games on any podcast platform. Please welcome to the show, (laughs) Kevin Impelazari. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you know, as I mentioned to you, I'm a big fan of your show, Scandalous Games. The, the topics you talk about are so interesting. I think there's certainly an appeal to your show, uh, or, or your show appeals to folks, and you do it so, so well in a way that you may not be interested or know anything about video games, but you'd be fascinated by these stories, including the one we're going to talk about today. So thank you so much. Um, again, again, thank you. I try to, I have a, I have a background in, in teaching, and I've done a lot okay. of public history and things like that. So it's a lot about like trying to, trying to make a topic interesting for a broad audience. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I was hoping to try to get something that, like not just hardcore gamers going to be able to understand this, but if like you, if you're interested in like American, like cultural history and like, uh, yeah. like uh, just like pop culture and media and like the intersections of games and all these other weird things that happen. Uh, yeah. Hey, mission accomplished. <laughs> how do you find, how do you go about finding the stories that you do? Um, that's a, that's, that's a great question. Um, I just kind of like where my interests are going. So like I, so this all kind of spun out of this was kind of my pandemic thing mm. doing this. So like mm-hmm. I, so I, I got my dissertation or I, I completed my dissertation at a PhD in uh, history in 2019. Uh, and wow. so the last uh, the 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 project itself examined sort of the uh, the evolution of what it meant to 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 be a to, what a game system was and what it meant to be a game uh, like a video game user. And how that changed during the first two decades the medium was around. So from about 1972 Ooh. to 1994, my dates. And my last chapter examined why video games have age ratings. And so like, uh, why, mm-hmm. what caused the ESRB to be created? And the, the short answer of that is there was a big moral panic over violent video games in 1993. Mm-hmm. And yep. it culminated in a congressional hearing on December the 9th, 1993, where basically legislators said, okay, video games are too violent. They have too much sex in them. Either you regulate yourselves, or we're going to regulate for you. And basically, the mm. game industry is like, "Well, we got to get our act together." And they made the <laughs> Entertainment Software Ratings Board. And I thought that was kind of a cool story, and it was probably one of the neatest things because there was so much going on that was mm-hmm. beyond. Um, I was inspired by um, a video game historian by the name of Lane Nooney, who's over at Stony Brook, who did a lecture series on the cultural history of video games during the pandemic. He just streamed a lecture once a week. I said, that sounds like a pretty cool idea. And so I just took the last chapter of my of my dissertation and broke it up into an eight-part series and just contextualized that whole thing. And I thought that was kind of fun. And I, I'd started talk, uh, hanging out with a couple of friends of mine online and playing video games and mm-hmm. and started getting into conversations with them. I said, you know, why don't we make a podcast about that? And everybody's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, I, so, Someone described this to me that this is the... That for you know Gen Xers, it was let's start a band. For millennials, it's let's make a podcast. <laughs> um, and so, but like no one was really talking about video game controversies as a specific topic. And like a lot of them are wild, mm. and a lot of them are really revealing about like what's going on in society around people. Ah. And 
I initially came in to think it's like this is some of this is just like out of touch adults, but some of it is that, and sometimes it's like weird marketing campaigns. Like the first episode we did, we released was um, so Acclaim was this game company that was founded in the early eighties. Sure. By the two thousands, they were not doing well, oh. and they got really <laughs> desperate to try to get sales. And so they made a bunch of really bizarre marketing stunts, one of which was they had a game called Turok. Mm-hmm. And in 2002, Turok, Turok Evolution, uh, me too, <laughs> Turok 2 is amazing. Oh, um, yes, yes. But Turok Evolution was supposed to come out in 2002. And they said, you know what, let's make a naming, a contest where we'll tell expected parents, we'll give you a $20,000 savings bond if you name your new baby Turok. <laughs> what? And it got them a whole bunch of attention. They did one, in, that was in the US, they did one in the UK where they said, okay, we'll give you, what was it? We'll give you 500 quid in an Xbox if you'll name yourself Turok. Uh, and so- What's the exchange rate on that? That's 500. It's definitely, I, to be fair, that twenty thousand dollars is a savings bond. It's not oh, okay. mature yeah, for yeah, yeah. it was. It wouldn't have matured for like twenty five right, years. Okay. <laughs> <Very good point. laughs> so, but it turned out like it was. It was a one hundred percent a hoax. Oh, it was completely oh. made up. There was um. There's no evidence that any that any winners were made in the American. The UK one. They announced five winners. But later it came out that the five winners were actors that that an ad studio, an ad uh, executive, uh, an ad studio named Frank, which is a Manchester-based ad company, had paid a bunch of people to say they did it. Wow! Because the whole what? point, the whole point was the press. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. this company was doing terribly, and they really, really needed mm-hmm. Turok to be a hit. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we're just going to try everything, and they did that. They, they did. There was an even more audacious one they tried before. There's a game called Shadow Man: Second Coming, mm-hmm. and they put out announcements in the British press that they were going to pay people if they would have advertisements for Shadow Man Two carved into their deceased relatives' headstones. <laughs> Which prompted what? a denunciation from the Church of England, which said, "We're not going to allow any of our cemeteries to have this." Oh, and they even they, they even upped the ante on this. They even made it made, made even more what? more than that. They would pay people based on the location of their of the of the grave. Oh, so it's like boy. if it's in real prime real estate, we'll pay you more for that. We can see be seen from <laughs> the gates. That, what if that's my actual surname? My name was Bob <laughs> <Yes>. Shadowman. <laughs> Yeah, they were, and it was because they were, they were just, they were really desperate. Things were real bad at Acclaim. They were real, real bad. And wow. as it turns out, these games did not save them. Turk Evolution is not a terribly good game. Mm. And the company folded, I want to say about two years after that, oh. like mm-hmm. it didn't go well. Oh. And what was kind of, what I like about this is kind of taking a deep dive and kind of a closer look on that because it was paying attention to this. So it's interesting that in you, in you saying that there's, you know, uh, a history that, there's a lineage of this type of, well, maybe not, and maybe not necessarily, because that's a question I have about Custer and AMI and all the folks involved in this, um, of whether or not, like Acclaim did, this was a gimmick of sorts, but, but we should start at the beginning here. So this this company, AMI, you know, is the company behind Custer's Revenge, but we know on the box it says something like what? Mystique presents Swedish erotica. Now, growing up in the 1980s, John, I'll say to John, maybe Kat could back me up on this. We knew what Swedish erotica, we heard the phrase Swedish erotica. Had you ever heard of the phrase Swedish erotica, Kat? I, it, it rang a bell in my head. Okay. <laughs> I can't say uh, I was well, paying well, attention. You know, but, for the, yeah. All right, for the, John, my, I'll speak for John, because John was nodding. <laughs> and we brought to, oh, yes. to mind porn. You know, there was porn that was Swedish right. erotica. 
Uh, or so I've heard. Yeah. Third hand. <laughs> It was there a connect? I mean, is there a connect? Is there a connection between Mystique presents Swedish erotica and the Swedish erotica that was producing the the videos, the adult videos? It was. Oh, uh, so they licensed the name. Oh, <laughs> simple as that. Uh, so yeah, they hmm. uh, they they entered a deal uh, with Caballero Control Corporation, which which owned the rights to Swedish erotica, uh, which was owned by a guy named Noel Bloom, I believe his mm-hmm. name was, and. They got mm-hmm. the, the rights from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's as simple as that. They, 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 like the rest of the games industry, was snatching up those licensing. And you know, that recognizable brand name that is Mystique Swedish, that is Swedish Erotica. <laughs> so, this, this is a period of time. This is 1982 when this company gets this bright idea to come out with this game, which, quite frankly, in hindsight, thinking about all the adult video games we have now, it, it's, uh, it's kind of surprising to me it took that long because, you know, we had home gaming consoles of one variety or another by then, but I guess <laughs> it's surprising no one made an X-rated version of Pong somehow yet by then, you know, <laughs> on the Odyssey or something. Because especially the Odyssey, I don't care if you remember, it had like that plastic you'd put over the screen to have the game. You could put anything on there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, um, so in this era though, so the Atari 2600's been out for a few years now, by now. I had I got mine in the late 70s. Uh, 82, we know we're getting towards the end, you know, trying not to be too prescient in this uh, story, but um, so it's at a time where the market's already got a lot of games, right? So oh yeah, how is it that this company, I don't know, even thinks or, or dares to enter the, the video game market that's already saturated? If I were to guess, it's because they, so again, the games market's pretty big, particularly like 80, 81, and like everybody's getting in on it. And I think that to a certain extent, they're thinking we're going to get our cut. We're going to, because a lot of companies were doing that. A whole lot of companies were doing that. And between 80, 81 and 82, like for example, you see a lot of, there's a huge scramble among a couple of major companies for licensing rights. And so like, this is when you get games like this is when you get the infamous ET, the extraterrestrial and you get like Raiders of the Lost Ark and like Parker Brothers was snatched, formed a games division, was snatching up all sorts of licenses. They made mm-hmm. Marvel games. They made James Bond games. There was a Lord of the Rings game. Um, mm-hmm. And so you have a lot, there's sort of a mad dash uh, in 80 and particularly into eight, 1982. And when, when Custer's event starts coming out, like we're right. It's like, we're right. We're riding the roller coaster and it's, almost to the top mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. th- their, their timing's not great in that respect but i think it's because there's a lot of people who are trying to get in quickly and people are talking about this market's getting saturated the bubble's going to burst eventually but maybe we can get it a little bit further <laughs> maybe we make a little bit more money uh, before this thing goes over goes completely down the uh down downhill because what what some people mark as kind of the starting point of the crash itself was that right. Uh, December 1982. So sure. Atari had not had made a bunch of bad decisions and they had um, their parent company's Warner Communications and Warner Communications kept saying, you know, profits are going to keep going up and up and up. I think they had like 60 percent. I think their their profits went up like 60 percent in the quarter before that. But then they had a bunch of missteps, which I, I don't have time to go into, but they mm-hmm. had to scale back their earnings estimate. They said, well, it's only going to be like a 12% increase in revenue. And this got their stockholders really, really scared. They started selling off their stocks mm-hmm. and their stock just completely tanked. And a bunch of other game companies were kind of swept up in this. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a line I'm going to borrow from, um, which was so like uh, uh, Mattel was going to, or what was it? A Magic. A Magic was a third party company. They were going to go public. They decided they're not going to go public now because the stock <laughs> starts, starts tumbling. There's a line from the Wall Street <laughs> Journal from that. It said, um, I'm going to paraphrase it. It's like, 
for investors in video games uh, yesterday. It was a day, a day after, yesterday was the day Warner Communications stole Christmas. Oh, no. <laughs> and so no. in, when, when, when um, Custer's Revenge comes out about a month before that, so at that point, that, I, they're still in that point where we think this can still be profitable. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the bottom fell yeah. out. Okay, so how do we get, I mean, do we jump into what the game is or do we jump into how they... I guess you can almost not avoid it, right? I mean, <laughs> this is, I feel like with this, and if you listen yes. to my episode, we kind of pulled the band aid off yes. at the beginning because right, okay. you can't, da- you can't really, it's hard to dance Got around what this game yeah, is. Yeah, I know what we're talking about. Okay. <clears throat> I, I like to use euphemistic language, but I'm struggling here. To I know on your show, away. you just read it off the box. Did you read, I don't remember if you read the final box text or the press kit text. I believe, I believe I read the final box text because that was I, I read the one that was scanned on Atari Age. I've heard about the press okay. kit text. I've heard it was worse, yes. uh, which I think Kate Willard talks about right. in their in their Kotaku article. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, do you want to do this, Kevin? I mean, huh. I could. <laughs> huh. Let's see. Is this how you do it? You read the thing from the box, huh? That's what I did. Yeah. I'm going to read the original one here. So this is for folks, just so you know what we're talking about the game wise. This is what appeared supposedly on the original box before people started to complain that Kevin will tell us about. It says, you are General Custer. Your dander's up, your pistol's waving. You've hogtied a ravishing Indian maiden and have a chance to rewrite history and even up an old score. Now the Indian maiden's hands may be tied, but she's not going to take it lying down. By George. Help is on the way if you're if you're to get revenge, you'll have to rise to the challenge, dodge a tribe of flying arrows, and protect your flanks against some downright mean and prickly cactus. But if you can stand pat and last past the stings and arrows, you can stand last. Remember, revenge is sweet. Every time old Custer makes a score, the more challenging the game action gets. Oh, boy. So, you know, I guess, <laughs> what, what are we talking about here? This... What what is the game? What is the gameplay of this game? I guess. It, okay. It's, yeah. So you ready for this? Yeah. <laughs> so it's a single. It's a single yeah. screen Atari game. So it's twenty six hundred game. It's yeah. a single screen. The screen is a. Uh, it's basically supposed to be like a western scene, desert. You got a mountains yeah. and Cactus clouds in the background. I'm I'm dancing around <laughs> this a little bit. Uh, well, you've got. Um, let's see. We've got. Uh, a gentleman who is supposed a to be Custer in a gentleman, a gentleman who has his penis out, who is he's got it. He, he's wearing a cowboy hat and boots, but that's pretty much it. Yes. And mm. let's say he's excited. Mm. Uh, yeah. And on the other end is a. Let's just come out and say it. yeah. it's a bound indigenous woman tied up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the goal of this game. Is mm-hmm. to navigate Custer mm-hmm. from one end of the screen to the other without getting hit. So arrows will come down and cacti will pop up in the path he's going. And his goal is to make it from one end of the screen to the other and meet this bound indigenous woman. Right. And then hit the button. You the player hits the button as many times as they can to copulate. Uh-huh. <laughs> this pro <laughs> I, I'm not I would great in, with these. Euphemisms. You don't have to use euphemisms, but maybe no. you'd rather. Um, it, so, it is. Yeah, it's rough. As best as an eight-bit representation of two people having sex is what it is. Which is it's so it's so funny. Like think about like I remember Adventure. Right, the sword looked like an arrow. The dragons looked like <laughs> kind of like dogs. Who would have the ambition to think you could create an erotic game on a twenty-six hundred? But. 
Uh, yeah, so sure yeah, so to the best of representation on the computer, you're having sex with this woman who, like Kevin pointed out, is is bound. So I yeah. imagine this was greeted with a lot of joy and ex- excitement by people across the spectrum, <laughs> Native mm-hmm. Americans, <laughs> church-going <laughs> folks. The uh, mm-hmm. any female. <laughs> yeah, so, it's funny too because I've I've read some coverage about this game yep. when it um, so deb- it first was debuted at the National St- Sound Music and Video Show, which was held in New York in New York's Hilton Hotel in October of 1982. Okay. And there, I've read some reports from the convention hall. And this may come as a shock to you, the kind of reception this got. Most dudes who played it thought it was all right. <laughs> There's literally one guy who says, I can see why people might be offended by this. But women overwhelmingly hated this game. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And word did get out. Um, there's a lot of, uh, Kate Willard's article talks a lot about how word kind of got out. There were some people who were kind of wise to them because the Hollywood Reporter apparently did a report on AMI a couple of months before the game came out. So there were some people in the activist communities that kind of knew what this game was. Uh, but a bunch of them, when it's debuted, I want to say it was on October the 15th. I could get the date wrong. It was mid-October 1982. They're showing this game off. And people get wise about this and they stage a protest outside. A lot of local New York-based branches of various activist groups. So the National Organization for Women was out there. Women Mm -hmm. Against Pornography was there. The uh, American Indian Mm -hmm. Community House. And supposedly, apparently, descendants of General Custer himself. Um, (laughs) What side were were they on? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. (laughs) They're like, yeah, let's hear it from both. Let's hear it from yeah. both sides. <laughs> Maybe they wanted their uh, cut. But Maybe. but yeah. Oh, I would I would love to see the lawsuit between the estate of George A. Custer and AMI. <laughs> um, but yeah, they people understandably had real problems with this game, and they're mm. protesting it for its racism, for its sexual violence, um, for its misogyny. Uh, and what's really extraordinary about this game is, is like somehow it it just it became such a unifying point for so many different points of the political <laughs> spectrum. I've seen, I've seen editorials from like, you know, far right from like conservative pieces. I've, I mean, obviously you see more um, like feminist organizations, mm-hmm. like somehow they all found one, one common target. It, it's extraordinary. It's yeah. like, the, it, this is one of those things that, that when I, when I talked about, like that, that I wonder, part of me wonders if this game was some, with some respect trolling right. that they were mm-hmm. trying to drum up publicity because it's almost like this game was tailor made to offend as many people as possible. Kevin, aside from all that, it's subjectively a bad game. It's not even interesting. If you strip away the salaciousness, there's just nothing interesting to do. It's 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 pretty repetitive. Mash the button. Yeah, what you're doing there, but there's nothing to play really. It's not interesting. All it does, and and all it does, it gets faster. The the, the, the pace of the game gets faster. Is that's all? That's all it changes. Just like my love making, Kevin. Just like my love making. It's a lot of button mashing and things getting fast. So when they, so uh, when AMI gets accused of creating a game that's uh, sexual assault, essentially, uh, mm-hmm. how do they respond? Do they do they uh, f- agree? I mean, how do they how do they deny it? I mean, what's their response to this criticism? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> now, on the one hand, I will I will say that there's some debate over whether or not they actually intended for this game to be erotic or not. Mm-hmm. Um, part of their argument 
and this is this is a bit in the in the materials that they eventually put out. This might have been a response, not unlike the uh, the changing of the language in the back of the box, that they really tried to emphasize this game was supposed to be funny, that it was mm. a joke. <laughs> oh yeah, that it's uh-huh. and, and that became the company line uh, from representatives, people like uh, AMI head, a guy named Stuart Keston, uh, who talked a lot with members of the press. He's got tons of sound bites. They love it. it, it just I, I can imagine them getting a lot of good copy out of this guy, but like. A lot of his conversations that this is a joke. It's tongue in cheek. Uh, it's a. It's it's. What do you say at one point? It's showing an amusing fun act. Uh, mm-hmm. And oh, he says worse. I could yeah. say worse than he said. But, uh, <laughs> uh, they try to emphasize that this is. Con- at one point, they tried to emphasize this is consensual. Yes, right. they, like, they, they said they said that the, the young lady was smiling, therefore yeah. justifies everything. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, they also say like that some of the reps like, well, it's not like he rips his cl- rips her clothes off or anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's rough. It's rough. Because yeah. they've already been ripped off. She mm-hmm. already has nothing on. There, oh, man. My favorite line to come out of this. I'm gonna make. I, I'm gonna. I brought up my notes just to make sure I get it right. Yeah. Um. Here we go. Um. Uh, Stuart Keston uh, told a Wichita Falls Times reporter um, that while Custer's Revenge depicted sex, it didn't depict rape, saying, quote, we no more promote sexual violence in our game than Pac-Man promotes cannibalism. (laughs) What? That's not even accurate about Pac-Man. He's not eating other Pac-Man. Yeah. Exactly. They really double down on this. They really try to yeah. make so it's like, dude, don't get mad. It's a joke. Can't you take a joke? Is there uh, any? So look, they're making the cartridges. Atari, unlike I think later Nintendo, sort of learns from Atari and tries to have some control over the third-party games it has and quality. You know, and they have that sort of branding where it's like a seal of approval. Atari has does none of this, so we get all these kinds of games. But folks who are getting mm-hmm. hearing about these games or buying games from third parties. They don't necessarily know Atari is not endorsing or creating these products. So mm-hmm. Atari, as you mentioned, they're sort of on their last legs now. Um, mm-hmm. Is there any blowback to that company who folks are just thinking they must be behind this or connected somehow? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's pushback. This isn't quite Atari last legs. 1984 is Atari last legs. Okay. Um, they're still mm-hmm. at the height of their power. They're the At this point, they're the mightiest uh, company in the industry. They control about 85% of the market. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, for the most part, they were pretty laissez-faire when it came to stuff that was on their cartridges. They tried to the first third-party company that comes out was, was Activision. And when Activision comes out, they tried to sue them into oblivion and eventually the suit didn't work out. And so it kind of gave the green light for people to make their own games. And I think mm-hmm. Atari got to the point, it's like, you know what? They're making them for the 2600 primarily, and we're making money hand over fist with this. So we're kind of okay with that. Um, <laughs> but then they hear about this game. Uh, because people do send them, they send angry letters and like the press reaches out to them. Like, what do you think about this game where, where a woman is sexually assaulted on your, on your platform? And they're like, we're not happy about this. Um, they had a representative um, who said something along the lines that we take a really dim view to this game. And like, this is not something that we, that we condone. And then a day after that, they sued AMI. They, they filed wow. some kind of suit. It's not clear what happens um, if they maybe drop the suit or something, but they definitely very publicly say that they're going to sue AMI. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they realize what this is because yeah, you're right. Like at the time, like you're not really unless you're you're, you're probably not really thinking about like this is an Activision game. This isn't a Magic game. This is a Parker mm-hmm. Brothers game. This is an Atari game. 
It yeah. comes right. out of the twenties. Mm-hmm. Like that's the way yeah. probably a lot of parents, especially, are thinking about. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Like this mm-hmm. is coming out of an Atari, and like chances are either either a Atari made this thing. Yeah. Or B, they're at least tacitly endorsing this thing. Isn't that mm-hmm. cowboy in there the same guy from Outlaw? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right? He's a guy with a hat. <laughs> looks a little well, different. The guy in Outlaw also had pants, as far as I'm aware, too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I could, you can see how it would be. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're like, you know, we've got to... <laughs> We, it's like we've we've got to put the kibosh on this thing, and we may but we may not be able to bet it, but we can at least sue them. Yeah. So, I, and as you point out, obviously, ultimately, we don't know what happened to that. But and this is pre, like you said, ratings bureau, which uh, you know we don't have uh, yet for video games. So, uh, are there any other attempts to make uh, it harder for children to get this or stores to sell it? What what what? Sort of things that folks do to try to combat this game that seems like inevitably it's going to be available and come out. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to tell exactly what distribution was like on this game and like how they yep. sold it. Like, I don't know what kind of. One of the challenging things is that there's basically not a lot of literature left behind from AMI. Like, production materials. Like, they probably burned all that when they were they done. Probably, they scanned on they that shredded and it like, and burned it. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the crash, like a, a lot of things, got lost in the crash. I mean, even when like when Atari got into the really really bad times when they got so Warner broke the company into pieces and sold it off, and like the new owners basically just literally just dumped out filing cabinets worth of stuff. They were having fire sales. They were like selling the furniture and like they wow. there are stories of them like literally selling the filing cabinets and not even emptying them. And like so, so, and this is, and this was the biggest company in the industry. Like, you can only imagine what it's like for these like small fly-by-night companies like AMI, where it's like, I mean, it's gone. It didn't work. I'm not keeping. Like, this thing didn't work out. I'm not keeping it. So it's buried with the ET cartridges. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) It's out in the it's out in the Alamogordo Desert somewhere. (laughs) Um, But um, I remember as a kid hearing about this, and I think. In some magazine, I may have seen, I've seen an ad. I had my mind to have a vision of an ad. What magazine that would have been? It's probably an adult magazine, quite honestly. It's probably the kind of magazine you find in someone's, uh, in the woods somewhere behind somebody's house or in an <laughs> attic under a thing that you're not, you know. Did you know your dad has all these things over here? You know, but I remember seeing ads for it and being intrigued by this thing. The label did say not for, not for minors. So they did, they did at least do that. Mm. It's like, it's contained suggestive context. The other thing I want to point out is this was, there were two other games that AMI put out with this mm-hmm. as part of this line, uh, which were called bachelor party and the extremely tastefully named beat them and eat them. <laughs> um, but these games which, came out, yeah. um, they, they did have these sort of um, recommendations. And like, I imagine, I imagine again going back to the concern about like there's not a lot of literature, so I don't know what kinds of things they're sending to the retailers. Like here's how we want them to sell this, but it's possible that some of these retailers might have had it like behind a case somewhere. I'm thinking like this is a little <laughs> later in time. I'm thinking like Toys R Us's World of Nintendo. Uh, we're going to give you a slip, and you've got to go mm-hmm. pay for it. And then we're going to give you this <laughs> thing sitting in a cage somewhere. So I'm it may th- be something like that. Yeah, um, you're making me think of the video game sto- video of uh, the video stores where they had the beaded curtain, you know, and you try, as a kid, you're trying to yeah. see, find the beads there. See a cover even. Oh, do that. Um, they also had very distinct, um, they had very distinct packaging for it. It was like came in these big, like clamshell type cases. Apparently that was what AMI was, was involved before they made games was actually video cases. Right. Oh. It was kind of their way into the, uh, into the entertainment industry as it were. 
gee, let's make something to put inside these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they also were not really... the, they also were not the only one to try this. So uh, there was a company called Wizard Games, and I don't know anything about the internal stuff of Wizard Games, but I did yeah. find an ad from late 1982, which had a very, very, very bold claim. It was advertising for two games. Wizard Games claimed that they had the first adult game and the first violent video game. <laughs> Very bold claim. Huh. Uh, one of these games came out, one Bragging. of these didn't. The violent video game, they said, was their adaptation of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay. Uh, in oh. which you could either play a victim escaping Leatherface or Leatherface himself. Mm. <laughs> the other one was uh, another of these pornographic games, which was based apparently on a 19 an early 70s softcore porn parody of Flash Gordon oh, called Flesh Flash Gordon. Gordon. Oh, we had that videotape in my house. <laughs> I never one- watched it, but my parents my parents are very liberal, you know, growing <laughs> up. Watch whatever you want. And it was like, is this that same movie that I love with Sam Jones? Gordon is alive. <laughs> Now it's something else. Gordon is aroused. <laughs> I never watched it, but I, I remember it saying Flesh Gordon and knowing as a kid even, I think I was supposed to watch this one. So they made a video uh, game. <laughs> they tried to- so, so here's the thing about this. The the Flesh Gordon game never came out. Ah, and okay. so they haven't, there is an advertisement. I can send you after this picture of the ad, but uh, there's Does an the advertisement. phone numbers still work? <laughs> <laughs> there's an advertisement. There's copy, but this one hmm. never came out. And rep- there were rumors, and at least one newspaper report, I said that the folks at Wizard Games saw what was happening to Custer's Revenge and didn't want any of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre did come out, though. Um, there's it's actually, just, an, uh, if you know the angry video game nerd, he did a video sure. on, on that. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a particularly hard game to find now. I found it at a game shop selling for $600. No kidding. Ooh, yeah, that's yeah. a rare one. Wow. Ooh. Uh, check your attics underneath the porn. You might find it there. <laughs> so when it does come out, is this, uh, look, we, you talked about they want to get maybe their piece of the pie, you know, the sort of the game, mar- video game market is booming at this point. Is it successful? Do people buy this game? It's hard to say because it's not really clear how much they sell. And like, this is something mm-hmm. that I've found from, from reports from company executives and Kate Willard does in, in their article too, is like the numbers are all over the map of how many they say that they have. I think, I think Stuart Kessett at one point said he, sh- he shipped like a hundred thousand units or 200,000 units or something. And like, one thing you're going to do is, as a, this, a guy, this is a guy that I should point out had a, had a background in marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was an advertiser before he, before he founded AMI uh, with this guy mm-hmm. named Joel H. Martin. He had a bachelor's in, he had a, a he had a master's in uh, communications, I believe from Columbia uh, and had worked for Sterling Drug Company in L'Oreal before this. So he was mm. in, in, in advertising. So he's he's clearly spinning. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's some some places that said that it moved 80,000 units. Some people said that it moved 100,000 units. But th- there's, there's no way of telling. Uh, Are those th- good numbers for the 80s? That's the other thing is like the, the, it's hard to tell what measure to success mm. in mm-hmm, the early mm-hmm. 1980s. Because like you've got that. You've got like 80. Let's assume for the sake of argument, 80,000 units. And at the same point, like the best selling game for the Atari 2600 was Pac-Man, which moved 10 million units. Oh, I see. Oh. <laughs> or or it, moved, it moved, it moved something a very high, it moved a it's, couple of million it's like units. A, it's like an outlier. You so almost it's got, hard, you get tossed it's hard, it out. Yeah. It's hard to tell, especially because mm-hmm. there were so many of these small companies that were formed mm-hmm. between like 80 and 82. So it's like, I don't know what their, I don't know what their line was. Like if we get to this number, then we have a success in our hands. And mm-hmm. then the, the backlash also happens too. And, and skipping ahead, they eventually, I think they realize like this is, 
that this is becoming too much of a headache for us and we need to we need to dump ballast fast so it's like you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. see so, you, so the impact again look we have adult video games right i know there was a statistic i think in that article that we would keep referring to the kotaku article that and i didn't know this i think it was an article that in eight, 1982 at the arcade you could play various video games but if you had a if you stumbled upon a game where you were a woman a female character she was most likely naked or at least mm. nearly naked. And, and by the end of atari 2600's lifespan mm. the console featured only 10 playable human women and roughly half of them were games by this joel martin that you mentioned <laughs> um <laughs> so if, did, but it seems like you know the uh the impact and what, what was the lesson to be learned obviously sexual assault is bad i, I hope we don't I pray we don't have video games like that out there, but I'm sure there's some place you can go and find it. Yeah, yeah. But we know there's been adult video games, you know, for decades now, whether it's strip poker mm-hmm. or something simple mm-hmm. like that, or so. imagine now they're very sophisticated. I don't know. I'll ask John. John, what game are you playing right now? <laughs> uh, I was just playing Custer's Revenge right before oh, okay. we recorded, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> Put your shirt back on. For research. For research. Why are you wearing a cowboy hat? <laughs> and nothing else and what's nothing going else. on uh, I like to I like to immerse myself really yeah. so <laughs> it, it seems like the, the lesson isn't don't do adult games it's maybe don't do rapey games I don't <laughs> don't try to offend as many people as you possibly can at yeah. one time <laughs> there have been there have been some analyses of Custer's Revenge that say for at least a little while this kind of kills the adult. Like the if we're thinking of adult in terms of like eroticism and depictions of sexuality like that, then for okay. a while it kind of kills that market. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. certainly it, I'm not gonna say it made it harder, but it's definitely a cautionary tale, I think, for people. Mm-hmm. And especially like so so skipping ahead by yeah. by, by about nineteen eighty four, the industry's basically dead. Um, Nintendo mm-hmm. comes in, they release the, the Nintendo Entertainment System in a small market mm-hmm. in 1985 and then in 1986. And Nintendo was very, very specific. This is a children's system. We are making a toy. Uh, we're going to mm-hmm. have very, very specific, very, very strict restrictions. You kind of alluded to this before, Will. Like, one of the things they do is they make all... They kind of rule the third party market with an iron hand. You had to get licensing approval through Nintendo. They mm-hmm. would manufacture all the cartridges. You could only make so really so many games a year. Mm-hmm. So like they very carefully restricted that market. Um, and one of the things they are absolutely not going to do is allow adult games. Now people mm. do try to dodge mm-hmm. that, and eventually people. So there was a they put a lockout chip in the NES, and the idea was that oh. if you had official NES stuff. It would work, but if it if it didn't, it would lock it out. Now, mm-hmm. eventually, wow. people found a way of circumventing that, and one of the ways was <laughs> because Atari came back and they reverse engineered it, which is a whole other story. But <laughs> wow! So oh. some people did try to put some unauthorized stuff. I don't know if there were any sex-based games. I know about some ultra-violent games they did, mm-hmm. but I think what eventually happened, and this is again skipping more to the present day, is that like the games market at this point is so decentralized and is so is not reliant on the console makers anymore. The PC mm-hmm. game market is huge. The indie game market is massive um, in, in terms of just general. Everybody can basically make a game. Anybody could put it out on their website. You don't have to worry about retailers. You don't have to worry about Nintendo if you don't want to. Now, eventually, mm-hmm. Nintendo right. kind of scales back. Obviously, they're not going to do sex games on a Nintendo system, but mm-hmm. there's a lot more ways that people can get that and a lot more opportunities. Like, mm-hmm. I do not check those parts of Steam, but I bet you if you looked <laughs> on Steam, you'd find more yeah. than a few erotic, <laughs> uh, erotic-themed games, a variety of different mm-hmm. types of tastes. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's what, what, what ultimately ended up happening is that the market got so big and that digital distribution became so important and, like, 
You don't need to make a you don't need to be like AMI and make a cartridge and try to put it in like Keldor or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can just put it on your website so you don't have yeah. to worry about all that stuff. Right. And so that right. that's what yeah. and yeah. ultimately happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. Mm-hmm. That's where we are today. Yeah. Hey, oh. uh, you know, look, there's a lot there's a lot to this story and it's really fascinating and it, it's crazy what happens at the end because there there's a uh, I guess I don't see espionage, but there's there's some underhandedness where uh, mm-hmm. the, the company tries to sort of uh, get out from underneath the heat and, and maybe uh, give it a different go with it. Look, I, you got to check out Kevin's show. He does this the whole story justice, including the latter half, which is a whole story in of itself. Mm-hmm. But uh, you should check out this episode on Custer's Revenge over at Scandalous Games. It's available everywhere podcasts are. And any other episode, seriously, that's the one I started with, I think, because I was drawn to the 80s. There's another one that was sort of uh, 80s adjacent. And then, every look, I, I love video games, so there's so many episodes that uh, from different eras of video games that are just fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Kevin. That was, uh, hmm. you, neg- you navigated it very well. I would say you yeah. dodged the arrows and <laughs> cacti very well. Oh. And oh, now I'm suggesting there was something at the end though. Huh? Oh god. Oh, hmm. yeah. <laughs> our show. Our show's there. Okay. There well, we go. Thanks for your time, Kevin. It was all fun and consensual and and all good clean fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was smiling the whole time. <laughs> now that I know more about Custer's Revenge, hmm. I'm trying to think look, again as a kid in the eighties and I had I known about that, I'm trying to be honest. Yeah, I guess I would have been grossed out about certainly having heard the protests. Folks saying, mm-hmm. oh, this is about sexual assault. And all. all right, I would not be into that. Even as a kid? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, the fantasy of whatever we thought it was when we were kids was way better than the reality it turned out to be. You know, that's what turns <laughs> well, I, I think looking back now, if I had had access to that game as yeah. a youth, you kind of alluded to before, I'm not sure I would have put two and two together and realized what was the actual... Um, what was so scandalous about it outside of it just being a, a sexy game? Like right. you know, I might not mm-hmm. have realized you know, there's not so much political correctness and Blazing Saddles was okay. And maybe I yeah. would have went, oh, it's funny because dirty jokes are funny and yeah. people don't get upset because we weren't as in tune to what, you know, disenfranchised mm-hmm. people suffer as we do are now. So right. I think even then I wouldn't have known. I would just, and it's, I think I mentioned, it's not that good of a game anyway. So yeah. I would have been so enamored with it. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And, and you know, we sort of touched upon this with Kevin, but I don't think we came back around to it, is that after folks started, uh, you know, uh, protesting the game, they modified the box uh, description yeah. to change mm-hmm. it. And they, they retconned the story to make it sound yeah. as if Custer was actually rescuing yeah. this native yeah. woman. Her mm-hmm. name was Revenge. It's not mm-hmm. about revenge. You know, I basically changed <laughs> the original description of the uh, on the box. Oh, nope. Yeah. But, uh, hey, I don't know what yeah. I would have done if I would have played this game if I had been faced with it yeah. <laughs> at a at a young age. But now I just feel like I'd make him sit on as many of those cactus as I possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> so today in 2022, mm-hmm. have you mm-hmm. played the game yet? No, I have. I ha- oh, I haven't. Now, in connection with you this story, not. I did watch a watch someone playing it on YouTube. Someone play it. Okay. So I could yeah. see the mechanics of it. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, it, yeah, it's out there. You can pick it up and play it in an emulator. Again, it's no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, our show is brought to you every week. Thanks in part <laughs> to somebody. I just want to make sure I get it. <laughs> somebody. There it is. I'm looking at hey, somebody. Our show is brought to you every week. Uh, thanks in part to our early adopters like Kathy Burke, Rick Parker, and Karen Flieger. Nice. And especially our secret of my success level Patreon supporters, John Henderson, Craig Coletta, John Kaminsky, and 
our co-host, John Reddick, who's doing double duty as a co-host and a supporter of the show. There we go. Now listen, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if you support us on Patreon like John has, you may Mm -hmm. be able to co-host at some point. Look at that. That's how That's it works. That's all it takes. That's how it works. Little payola. Yeah. Always works. <laughs> like that. All right. Hey, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. Yeah. Bye-bye now. <laughs>